The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our scripture today is from Philippians 3, 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, good morning. It's good to be together as we now open God's word. And it's a joy to be part of a church that celebrates life and celebrates these children that we saw this morning in a culture of death. And so... It's good to be together, to see all of you here. Why don't you join me as we pray and as we continue our series in Philippians. Join me as we pray. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes now so that we would see wondrous things from your book. So that we would be changed. That we would be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed that you become like the people you surround yourself with? You ever notice that? The, the types of people that you hang around, you, you sort of begin to take on their mannerisms, the things that they get excited about. We begin to imitate the very people that we admire or the people that we watch. We are like sponges. We begin to absorb the characteristics of those around us. After living in Minnesota for almost 10 years now, I'm tempted to say oofta, even though I have no idea what that means. I don't think you do either. I I even root for the Vikings now and uh, share with you in the collective disappointment as well. We we slowly become like the people we surround ourselves with. And we, we live in a culture where we're just constantly bombarded by people who want us to be like them. For example, athletes want us to buy their shoes. Companies want us to buy their branded apparel. Celebrities want us to buy their, watch their films. Or influencers want us to follow and like and subscribe. Everyone is clamoring to be the example for somebody else. And this idea of imitation is at the heart of our passage this morning. You saw Paul used that word, imitate me, right at the beginning in verse 17. And the Apostle Paul is calling the Philippians to be careful who you watch and to be careful of who they imitate. We can subtly and even unknowingly begin to resemble those around us. Paul warns the Philippians about their company. And we've kind of seen throughout the letter, haven't we? All the different types of people that are present within that broader community. Just just look back with me. In chapter 1, verse 15, there were some who were preaching from envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. 
In chapter 1, verse 28, there were some who were opposing Christ and the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, you're living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And then in chapter 3, a couple of weeks ago, he said, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evildoers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, these people who put confidence in the flesh. And so he's warned them of lots of different types of people along the way. And Paul's main point in our passage this morning is imitate and watch those who pursue Christ. Imitate and watch those who are pursuing Christ. Essentially, follow me, Philippians, as I follow Christ. That's what Paul is saying in our passage this morning. And his aim is that these Philippians would stand firm until the very end. He believes that what is at stake is their perseverance, life and death. And what he wants is for the Philippians not to fail in finishing the Christian life. So our passage breaks down with one primary command that comes in verse 17, and then two reasons The first comes in 18 and 19, and the second in 20 and 21. So our three points this morning are a call to imitation, a warning of apostasy, and then a reminder of identity. And so we're going to look at each of these three things. So first we get this call to imitation. Look with me at verse 17. encourage you to keep your Bibles open and follow along. He says, Brothers and sisters... Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So pretty straightforward what Paul is saying here. He knows that imitation is an aspect of discipleship. Disciple is not only just teaching someone what you believe and what you want them to know, but he says, I want you to watch my life and see how I live so that you imitate the ways in which I live. So Paul is saying, my life is an example I want you to emulate. And and so it brings to mind the question of, well, what what aspect, what what, what aspect of Paul's life does he want the Philippians to imitate? What what things does he have in mind when he says, imitate me? Well, we can kind of survey the entire letter to see all the things that Paul drew attention to. Uh, Look with me at chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is full of thanksgiving. Chapter 1, verse 8, Paul is full of love for the Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 18, Paul rejoices in the preaching of Christ. Verses 121, Paul's ambition is to honor Christ in life and in death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says, It's been granted to you not not only suffer for his sake, not only believe in his name, but also to suffer for his sake. So Paul counts it a privilege to suffer for Jesus. Chapter 2, Paul admires and imitates the humility of Jesus and calls them to imitate this mind of Christ. And then later in chapter 2, Paul wants them to imitate Timothy's example of caring about the interests of Christ. Or Epaphroditus' example of risking his life for the work of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 3, Paul puts no confidence in the flesh. Chapter 3, verse 8, Paul counts all things as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. And then what we saw last week, Paul presses on toward the upward call of God, which is final resurrection. So I just listed 10 things. 
If you had to try to summarize all 10 of those things, what would you say Paul wants them to emulate, to imitate? I would put it this way. Paul's life is consumed with Christ. And so he's saying, emulate and imitate my Christ-centeredness. Paul's joy is defined by Christ, not his circumstances. His ambition is the advance of the kingdom of Christ. Paul sees suffering as an opportunity to honor Christ. Paul anticipates that death means to gain Christ. Paul weighs everything against the surpassing worth of Christ. Paul's faith is rooted in the righteousness of Christ. And Paul is single-mindedly pursuing Christ. You could say that Paul treasures Christ in all of life. Paul says, keep your eyes on those who walk in this way. So he's saying, not just me, but those like me who put Jesus at the center of their life. And this word walk, I think, draws upon the imagery, not just of believing the right things, but actually living the right way. And that's what Paul keeps getting back to again and again. Walk in a manner worthy. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he says, it's not enough just to know the right things in your mind. You got to let that translate into your heart and hands so that you live that out. That word walk is used throughout the Old Testament to describe those who had a personal, vibrant, living relationship with God. Genesis 5, 24 says, Enoch walked with God. He didn't just know God, he walked with God. Or Noah walked with God, Genesis 6, 9. Or God called Abraham to walk before me and be blameless, that I might make my covenant between me and you. Or the psalmist prays, teach me your way, O Lord, so that I might what? Walk in your truth. So Paul wants the Philippians to imitate his example that he's setting forth for them. Primarily in chapter 3, but in the entire book. He says, I count everything else as rubbish for the surpassing worth of Christ. Paul's committed to any means possible to attain the resurrection. So he's saying, be like me in being single-minded in pursuing Jesus because these are the only things that matter. Don't imitate all these other people that are going to fall short. And he'll describe them in just a moment. And I think as we kind of reflect on that this morning, it begs the question, who are we watching? What are we imitating? 86% of young people today, based on a survey, aspire to become social media influencers. More than engineers or astronauts or teachers or nurses or doctors, social media influencer. What we watch, we then become or aspire to become. And we're always watching and becoming like someone. And so the question for us this morning is, who is it that you admire and that you watch and that you're imitating with your life, either consciously or unconsciously? Young children constantly watch and imitate their parents. Like the little one this morning that said amen after all the adults did. They're watching someone, aren't they? And they're mimicking. That's some of the most disturbing things as parents sometimes is you see your kid do something unbecoming and you think, where did they learn that from? And then you think, oh, that was me. 
I say that. I do that. They pick up their mannerisms and attitudes and views from those they watch. And the same is true for us. So the question is, what type of example are you setting for others this morning? Could you say with the Apostle Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Would the Apostle Paul, when he says, imitate me and those like me, would he include you in that number? How is an older sibling influencing a younger sibling? How are parents and grandparents influencing their children? What type of example, what type of legacy are you leaving for the next generation? And then what type of people are you watching and imitating and mimicking? Paul draws our attention to this because it's so important. We don't just know things in our mind, but we model our lives after others. And so he's saying, pick the right people to imitate and to emulate. And he's eager for the Philippians to imitate his life. He says he isn't perfect. He said that back in chapter 3, verse 12, but he's following Christ. And so here in the church, we need examples of Christ-centered and godly leaders and people. In a culture of death, in a culture where God, following God's law, is just rejected and flaunted, we need people who will set godly examples. We need godly mothers and fathers who will raise their children. This is why we do child dedications. We need youth and children workers modeling a vibrant faith for the next generation. We need students who are doing that in their schools. We need singles and retirees and the elderly and widows and widowers to set godly examples for all of us. What does it look like to continue to follow Jesus in my retirement years or when I'm an empty nester or when I've just lost my spouse? What does it look like to double down on the promises of Christ in those moments? We need one another to set those examples here within the church. We need Christ-centered business owners and doctors who will stand up against this culture of death and nurses and engineers and scientists and teachers and writers and delivery drivers and retail workers who are all committed to magnifying Christ in their vocation. In a million ways, we need one another to stand firm on the promises of God and to say, imitate me as I follow Christ. Imperfectly, yes, but as I make Jesus the center of my life. If you said to someone else, imitate me, what type of disciple would they become? Is your life worthy of emulation? It's something worth each one of us wrestling with later today. Paul supports this command to imitate him by giving a warning first. And this is a warning of apostasy. Look down with me in your Bible at verse 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul 
call to imitation is because there are so many who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So he's warning them against following these types of people. They've abandoned the faith. They're guilty of apostasy, abandoning Christ and the church. And and Paul is not mocking them. He's grief-stricken. He says, I've often told you now and now tell you even with tears. His heart is just all broken up about these people who have wandered away from the truth of the gospel. Now, who are these people? Who are these enemies of the cross? Paul doesn't name them, so we don't know for sure. But it could be those earlier in chapter 3, those he called the dogs and the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. And it could be that their insistence on circumcision empties the power of the cross. It could also be that Paul just has a broader view in mind of anyone who doesn't walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That they believe, but their lives, their walk doesn't support what they say. And I think it's the second idea. It, it could be both, but I think it just is this broader group. They confess Christ, but they fail to walk it out. They fail to let their lives show as evidence that they're actually pursuing Jesus. And Paul describes them with four expressions. He says in verse 19, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and with minds set on earthly things. So first, this behavior leads them towards destruction. And I think what Paul has in mind here is throughout the letter, he said, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, be be willing to suffer for Jesus. And so there's these other people who are laboring out of selfish ambition and they don't want to suffer and their opponents. And I think the idea is that they're living self-indulgent lives. They don't want to suffer with Jesus. And he says, if you're going to live a self-indulgent life, resisting, standing up and suffering for Christ, it will lead to destruction. Jesus himself says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will what? Save it. So, so if you're trying to preserve your life, do all the things to, to kind of watch out for yourself. Make sure I don't suffer at all. So, you know, all those Christians are doing that. Let, let, let's just kind of distance ourselves from that. And he says, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life in suffering and standing with Jesus, you will gain it. The second thing he says is the God is their belly. Their God is their belly. I think what he means here is that they're consumed by their appetites and desires. And he doesn't just mean appetites for food. Romans 16, 18 says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So what Paul is describing here is that people who worship their desires as God, their physical urges have displaced Christ. So that could be food, but it could also be sex and all sorts of other things. They live sex-centered lives and food-centered lives and pleasure-centered lives instead of Christ-centered lives. The third thing he draws out is that they glory in their shame, meaning they take pride or they boast in shameful things. Remember, Earlier, he talked about glorying Christ Jesus, boasting, reveling in Christ. And now he's drawing this contrast to these people who glory in their shame. And this likely refers to sexual immorality. And this phrase just seems to capture the state of our world and culture right now. Our culture celebrates human pride and rebellion against the creator. 
our media glorifies adultery and pornography and fornication and homosexuality. Large corporations and sports teams boast in the very things that will condemn people to hell. Politicians boast of their track record of voting for legislation that will make it easier to kill babies within the womb, like it's a badge of honor. And that's happening here in Minnesota. Our world revels in their shame. Don't imitate those people, Paul is saying. The fourth thing. Lastly, their minds are set on earthly things. So early in the letter, Paul has called the Philippians to have the same mind in the same spirit and to emulate or imitate the mind of Christ. Have this mind of Jesus. So he wants believers to think like them. And instead, these enemies have their minds set on earthly things. They're trying to squeeze out all that they can from this world instead. And so Paul's point is that the way we live reveals whether we are truly disciples of Jesus. How you live matters. What you do in the privacy of your own home, in the privacy of your own thoughts, matters. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So to follow Jesus is to stand firm and to walk worthy of the gospel and to suffer for Christ. And so Paul's first warning is don't imitate those who have departed. Their end is destruction, and you can see it in the way that they live. Now Paul transitions from this warning to this reminder of identity. Look with me at verse 20 and 21. And where it says, but our citizenship... The, the word in the Greek is actually for, just like in verse 18. So he gives first reason, now he gives a second reason. For our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what Paul is doing here is he's now reminding the Philippians of their primary identity as citizens of heaven. The reason we're to imitate Paul, the reason we're to imitate people like Paul is because we're all of the same family. We're all citizens of the same kingdom. We're not citizens primarily here of earth, but we're citizens who are dwelling in the heavens because we're all in Christ. And this word citizen, citizenship, is the same one that was used back in chapter 1, verse 27. Same root word there. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It could be translated as conduct yourself as a citizen worthy of the gospel. This is what Paul keeps coming back to. Because of our faith in Christ, it causes us to live a certain way, to think a certain way, to behave a certain way. And it's a reminder for the Philippians, you're not primarily citizens of Rome. That is not your ultimate allegiance. Paul's logic is that he wants their heavenly identity to inform their present hope and life. For example, most of us here are U.S. citizens, and it comes with certain rights and privileges. We have the right to free speech and to worship, to a trial by jury, We're able to vote, to be employed within the country. 
to run for office, and to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Roman citizenship likewise came with certain rights and responsibilities. And Paul is drawing upon this metaphor to highlight the privilege of heavenly citizenship. It comes with certain rights and privileges. And so then we're wondering, Paul, what are those rights and privileges then? Well, he tells us. He says, first, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's doing something here that might seem imperceptible at first glance. He's not just saying to us that we have a Savior that's coming. Yes, he is saying that, but he's writing to Christians who are dwelling in the Roman Empire, and Caesar's, Caesar Augustus was called the Savior of the world because he created peace, Pax Romana. You guys remember this in history class. And, and Caesar was called the Savior of the world. And, and so what Paul is doing is he's saying, wait, wait, wait. Let me just make sure you understand. Yes, Caesar is the ruler of our earthly kingdom, but there is a greater ruler that we are awaiting and that we're under even right now. Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. Make sure you remember and that you live out that your ultimate allegiance is to King Jesus. Don't put your hope or trust in any earthly power. And that needs to be said for us today, doesn't it? That we don't put our hopes in any earthly government. Yes, Christians ought to labor in politics and advocate in the public sphere. But don't put your ultimate trust in the political system. Serve in government, yes, and in schools and in hospitals and in nonprofits. And I vote and hopefully all of you do as well. And yet my ultimate hope is not in an earthly kingdom. Fix your hope on Jesus. The second benefit of heavenly citizenship, it says, is Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what awaits believers is this transformation of our decaying, lowly bodies. This word lowly means humiliation. So these are humble bodies. And if you're over, I don't know, 40, 35, you begin to realize these are humble bodies. They're only getting older, more wrinkled, more injured, more gray, and they eventually fail us. And so Paul is saying, don't put your hope in this earthly body. The image I think he's kind of painting for us here is like that of a hospital gown. Our earthly bodies are like a hospital gown. The most unflattering garment on the face of the earth. You couldn't design a more unflattering, humiliating garment, right? Big armholes, big slit down the back, scraggly ties that don't work. They've been covered in urine and vomit and sweat and blood. Hopefully they've been sanitized, but they've been washed again and again. They're as thin as paper. No one looks good in a hospital gown. It's disgraceful and unpleasant, and it's going to be what most of us wear, the last thing we wear before we die. It's really depressing, isn't it? <laughs> and that's what Paul wants to draw our attention to. He's saying these lowly, humiliating, decaying bodies don't get the last word. 
That's not our final state, brothers and sisters. We are a people who are awaiting transformation, glorification. Our bodies will be made new. They will be made better than new. They will be better than when you were in your 20s, in your prime. They will be like the glorified bodies of Jesus. And you will revel and boast and glory in that body because you will be with Jesus forever. And we will be clothed, not in this paper-thin, scraggly hospital gown, but we will be clothed in the robes of righteousness of Jesus that will shine brighter than anything we have ever looked upon. That's what we're awaiting. And so he says, live like me, because that's what we're going after. Single-mindedly, we're pursuing that glorification, being with Jesus forever. Don't walk in the way of destruction. Don't get drawn astray into the ditch. Don't follow those people who are living for themselves. Don't worry about suffering here in this life. Follow Jesus. He will never disappoint. He will raise these lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And we will dwell with Jesus forever and ever. Are we looking forward to that? And sometimes we love being on earth so much that we think, oh, do we really want to go there? And we do. That's what we're waiting for. And that's what our older saints can sort of show for us. Oh, I can't wait to be with Jesus. I'm, I'm always so heartened when I see older saints saying, I'm just ready. I've lived enough. I'm just ready to be with Jesus. No more cancer, no more cataracts, no more cardiac arrest, no more diabetes or disability or decay. The very power that allows Jesus to subject everything under his feet. Back in chapter two, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That same power that caused Jesus to rise from the dead and the very same power that Jesus exercises over the entire cosmos right now is the same power that will raise us from the dead. That means it's guaranteed. There is nothing that Satan can do to prevent us from receiving these transformed, glorified bodies. So Paul really wants us to know our true identity. And just ponder with me. Where's Paul writing from? Prison. That's right. His hands are cold. His ankles are rubbed raw from his chains. They're probably infected. His body aches from sleeping on the bare ground. His hunger is ever-present. His ribs are probably starting to show. He's slowly withering away, unsure of his release. And so for Paul... The resurrection, the glorification of his body is not just some theological concept that he's like, I hope you guys take note of this. That is his only hope in life and in death, that he will be with Jesus and clothed in righteousness once again, in a renewed, glorified body. What Paul would say is, I can't wait to be glorified. And what he's saying to the Philippians is, follow me as we take hold of that reward. I don't want you to miss out and follow the wrong person and end up in a path of destruction. 
There will be no deterioration, no decay, no indignities to this body. And Paul is again subverting the politics of his day. Caesar possessed power to subjugate those within his empire, didn't he? He had power over every body in the Roman kingdom, like Paul. He had him thrown in jail, and he's in prison at that very moment. He could have him executed. But what Paul is saying is even though we're subject to these earthly powers, they are ultimately no match for King Jesus, who has supreme power over all. The same power that Christ possesses to cause every knee to bow, every tongue confess, is the very same power that is transforming us so that we become more and more like Jesus. And what Paul is saying is the way in which we live is preparing us for this same reality. It's not like we just get saved, we stay exactly the same, and then, oh, yes, we finally get glorified. But we are being sanctified right now so that we become more and more like Jesus. We're resembling Jesus more and more as he transforms us by his power. So, a couple of questions for us this morning. Do we eagerly await heaven? Do we eagerly await being with Christ? Do we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies? Do we eagerly await Christ's return? We ought to, because we are heavenly citizens, and that is our reward. Those are our rights and privileges. We will receive a Savior, and we will receive transformed, glorified bodies. So Paul calls the Philippians to imitate him and those like him, who centered their lives and future hopes on Christ. Be single-minded in pursuing Jesus. And, And we have lots of examples of that, don't we? We have godly examples in Scripture. We have people throughout church history. We have missionary biographies that we can read. And then we even have living examples in our own church here. So who are we watching? Who are we imitating? And then what type of example are you leaving for someone else? I want to give a word to our young people. So I'm thinking 3 to 18. Paul wrote to Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. It's never too early to begin setting an example for others in how you live and conduct yourselves. You might think, well, I'll do that when I'm older. And we would say, no, do that now, brothers and sisters. As Nick prayed earlier, we're raising up a generation who will be oaks of righteousness, plantings of the Lord, whose roots go deep, like Psalm 1 people. And the only way you'll do that is if you begin to take seriously your faith in Christ. And our culture is only getting worse. And so we need to raise up a generation from the very youngest ages who will say, I'm sold out for Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate those who have learned to loosen their grip on this earthly life and tighten their grip on Jesus For those who aren't following Christ this morning, we would ask you, who are you imitating? Who are you trying to be like? 
Who do you admire? Who do you listen to? Who are you watching? And in 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, if you have rightly imitated them, where will you end up? What type of life will you live? And will you look back and say, that was a life well lived? Paul invites you this morning, and I am inviting you this morning, to consider the example of Christ better than what this world can offer. And we invite you to consider the joy, the life, the hope that is found in following Jesus surrendering to him, confessing your sins, saying, I can't save myself. I can't carve out a meaningful, worthwhile life in my own strength. And I can only do it if I trust in Jesus and let him guide me. Jim Elliott is famous for this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And lastly, as we imitate Paul, I want to draw out four things that we can imitate about Paul. Four things. Let's imitate Paul's posture. So what's Paul's posture? Throughout this letter, what is he doing? He's rejoicing. He's full of joy. As a man in prison, ready to die, he's saying, it's so good to be a child of God. I'm lacking nothing. Look at the joy that comes from following Jesus. So imitate Paul's posture. We want to imitate Paul's perspective. What's Paul's perspective? Everything else is loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. All of this other stuff that I've worked for and earned that I'm so proud of, it's nothing because I have the greatest thing, Jesus. Imitate Paul's priorities. We saw this last week. Paul presses on single-mindedly towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I receive this glorified body and I'm with Jesus forever because that is what matters. Are we living for what matters? And lastly, fourth, imitate Paul's preoccupation. And what is Paul preoccupied with? He's preoccupied with the transformation of his lowly, humiliating body into the glorious body that will be like Christ. And as we imitate Paul, may we not be enemies of the cross, but instead as citizens of heaven, let's stand firm in the Lord and boast in the cross of Christ. Set our minds on the imminent return of Jesus and be ready when he calls us home. May we be a church, a people that indeed treasures Christ in all of life. Let's pray. Father, reorient our hearts so that we're living for the right things and we're imitating the right people. We want to have hearts that are rightly tuned to you and to your promises Christ-centered in all that we do so that we might take hold of this final resurrection. So do this by the power of your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.